Alright, and welcome back into the Rocky Top Insider Press Pass Podcast. My name is Rick Butler, joined to my right by the one and only Ryan Shumper. And Ryan and I right now, hey, we're sitting in one of the visiting press boxes right here in Sanford Stadium right after this Tennessee-Georgia game, man. Georgia defeats Tennessee by a score of 27-13. And really, Ryan, in a lot of ways, this was a lopsided win. And I'm not talking a you know a 35-3 victory or something like that. Obviously, we can talk about the score only being a 14-point game. But, man, when I really think about this game, when I think about the first quarter to the fourth quarter, the 22 players that were on the field at the same time, it felt lopsided to me. Yeah, no, it was. And you know, Tennessee, I think, it even ended up winning the score in the second half just because... Uh, Georgia really took its foot off the gas. I mean, you go, uh, you look at Georgia's first drive in the second half. Tennessee uh, was forced to punt, and, and Georgia went down the field, I think about 50 yards, kicked the field goal, and what was like an eight-minute drive. And the chances of Tennessee, one of the chances of Tennessee winning and coming out of half were pretty slim. They slimmed even more after Tennessee had the punt on their first drive, and in the way Georgia uh, just bled what I guess at that point was probably about a third of what uh, was left in the game on the clock. It, it, it one, it put to bed any sort of comeback uh, hopes for Tennessee, yeah. and two, it, it ended up making the score uh, look a little less lopsided uh, than it actually was, and uh, Georgia was pretty content to run the clock in the second half. And if we do notice, Tennessee defense does one thing well, they can stop the run pretty well, especially uh, when they know it's coming. Yeah. You know, I, I want to start with the offense here today because I think that to me was – the most surprising aspect of the game. I think when you looked at, you know, what we were talking about before the game, what other people were talking about before the game, I, I think a lot of people kind of expected this to be up there in the 30s or so. I, I mean, even uh, Kirby Smart's record against, you know, teams scoring 30 points, that was a big conversation yeah, throughout the week. With, especially with Tennessee having the number one offense in the country, but obviously Tennessee's offense comes in and, and, and they just get, I mean, pretty much shut out for, for uh, all things considered. Now, Jalen Wright does throw in a five-yard touchdown run with four minutes left in the game, but otherwise it was just the leg of Chase McGrath that Tennessee was scoring points behind. To you, when you think about this game, man, why was Tennessee's offense not able to get things going to the extent that we normally see or even to, uh, you know, somewhat of an extent that we normally see? Because what we saw here today was very uncharacteristic to the previous eight games that have led us to this point. 100%. I think when you... Start talking about why it wasn't as effective as it's been in some games. I think you point to the run game. And Tennessee averages 2.2 yards per carry, 42 attempts, uh, 94 yards. Now, granted, there were about seven Hinden Hooker sacks uh, that made those stats maybe a little bit more lopsided than uh, they really were to represent Tennessee's ability to run the ball. But, you know, we talked about it this week on the podcast. I wrote about it. We've talked about it all year. The run game and its consistency is what makes Tennessee's offense so dangerous and loosens up the field for Tennessee to take those shots down the field. Uh, so I think that played a huge role, and I mean that was something that certainly was, to me, one of the biggest storylines entering the game will decide the game. Uh, but at the same time, I, I, you could have told me those rushing numbers, and I would have told you Tennessee wasn't going to win. I probably would have told you they still would have scored more than 13 points and more than six points until garbage time, really. Uh, late in or midway through the fourth quarter when the game was in hand. So I think you got to give a lot of credit uh, to Georgia's defensive backs and the physicality they played with to take away a lot of what Tennessee wants to do in the passing game. Very little yards after catch for Tennessee on the yeah. short stuff. Uh, Georgia was all over that, was really impressed with uh, the way Georgia's defensive backs tackled just in general. And then again, 
kind of the same thing uh, when you talk about the, the, the front, but there's seven sacks, it, especially as the game went on. It just seemed like there were a lot of assignment busts from Tennessee's offensive line, and uh, Hendon Hooker spent a lot of time kind of running for his life in the backfield. Yes, he did, and I want to play off to that point right there because, you know, there were a lot of times where you, you were watching Tennessee's offense and specifically the receivers. The receivers were just able to, you know, not able to create as much separation as I, uh, as obviously that they would like to or uh, or, or the Tennessee game plan would like to, and, and that's been something that's been commonly working in Tennessee's favor throughout the season so far. So that was a big difference in this game right here. But I think one of the things that you saw that uh, fact, or excuse me, affect the most was Hendon Hooker in the pocket. I think there were a lot of times where Hendon might have been in the pocket a, a second or two more than he normally would have been in another game. Just trying to find those receivers downfield, not being able to pull the trigger and make the decision soon enough. And you're right, there were a lot of times where. Georgia's defense just pinned back their ears and absolutely put pressure on on Hendon Hooker and I think that you know that, uh, honestly in a little bit that's a little bit of what Tennessee has done to people at times right when Tennessee gets a big lead you know that the other team is going to be a little bit desperate in their play calling or at least in their schemes to get things back on track so what do you do uh, to to you know not to use their mascot right here but to connect a little bit of mad into this thing you use all dogs go and I felt like that's what uh, that's one aspect where, where Georgia was very successful in tonight in getting Tennessee off of its game, obviously not allowing the things to be there that normally would be, but then making life very uncomfortable on top of that. It was very similar to the way Pittsburgh was able to limit Tennessee, and that's win first and second down, get Tennessee in third and long, and then be able to bring some exotic blitz packages and, and different things you know, after Tennessee. And Now, Georgia did it with, you know, seven five stars on the field they did it with a lot more talent than yeah. Pitt did and that's why I think you saw the results be more lopsided you know where Tennessee in that Pittsburgh game uh, was able to hit some deep passes that, that freed up the offense a little bit or at least got them on the scoreboard and Tennessee wasn't able to hit those and you know they had opportunities and Josh Lyman talked about it uh, there was, it wasn't like there was nothing there down the field the whole game and Hyatt or Hooker missed one to Hyatt he missed one in the second half to Brew McCoy and granted he got hit as he threw on that one uh, so there were some opportunities uh, that Hendon Hooker did not hit some deep balls down the field that in a game like this where you know usually Tennessee's playing a solid uh, you know middle of the pack to above average SEC team they might have five to six plays a game where they're going to have a shot you know yeah. to, to get one deep and if you miss one that's not the end of the world. You, you have a, a bunch of more opportunities against a defense as good as Georgia, and especially the way Tennessee wasn't able to run the ball. Uh, those opportunities were really shrank, and, and Tennessee didn't capitalize on the ones that they had. Yeah, and I didn't necessarily feel like weather was a factor either. You know, the, the rain didn't come until late in the game, and uh, actually to go back on something you said, yeah, the halftime score was 24-6. to The final score was 27-13. So Tennessee outscores Georgia 7-3 to in the second half, which is – uh, kind of a wild thing to, to go back and look at it. But, you know, yeah, I, I did not feel like the, the rain was playing a big part, and Hinden Hooker said that as much after the game. But, yeah, there was a time where he missed Jalen Hyatt deep down the sideline. There was a time where he actually underthrew Jalen Hyatt by about a foot uh, close to the sideline as well. Towards the end of the game, he, he barely, and I mean barely, out threw uh, Princeton Fant, who, who made a big diving attempt for it around the 10-yard line or so. Uh, and, and you're right, those are just plays that I think in the – in, the, in past games this season, those have been connections. That's where you get quick points from the Tennessee offense. That's where you make the opposing defense a little bit uncomfortable, a little bit uh, shook because you you know you obviously just let up a big explosive play. Georgia had the confidence all game long 
because they weren't giving up those big plays. Again, I, I, I do think that's uh, a very demoralizing aspect to, to opposing defenses when you got to play Tennessee's offense. But that didn't affect Georgia. Georgia didn't let it up. And I think because of that, they, they were able to maintain confidence. You know something else that I feel like they were able to maintain confidence by? The 90,000 people that yeah. were in the stadium. I feel like that probably gives you some pretty good confidence when, man, this place was rocking. Yeah. It, it was loud from it, the jump. It was. It was as loud as any stadium I've ever been in. You know, I, I won't give it a nod over some of the games in Neyland this year. And it's as we've talked about before, some of it's kind of hard for us because we, we do have the glass in the press box in Neyland, so that kind of blocks out some of the noise. And it's an open-air press box here at Sanford Stadium. But it was loud. It was unrelenting. And it, it obviously gave Tennessee a lot of trouble. Everyone uh, we talked to from Tennessee talked about it. They were pretty upfront about it. Uh, that It gave them a lot of issues with communication. I think you saw that most notably in the eight pre-snap penalties Tennessee had, seven of them being false starts. But I think you saw it in what I mentioned earlier, where Tennessee's offensive line, I think, had a lot of protection bust, uh, where the assignment just clearly wasn't uh, relayed uh, effectively, and Tennessee made a lot of self-inflicted errors that hurt themselves on top of what the Georgia defense did really, really well uh, throughout the night. So you're right, uh, a really impressive environment, a really raucous environment, a uh, great crowd and uh, a great SEC football environment. Yeah, no doubt about it. This was uh, one of the absolute best crowds that I had ever seen in my lifetime. And uh, I think the way that you nailed it was uh, relentless, or, or however you said that word, because that was right. I mean, truly, from from the beginning to the end, this yeah. was a this was an, a stadium that uh, was ready for a one versus two matchup, a one versus three matchup, and, and they felt like. Uh, they felt like they had a home field to protect, and, and certainly that did give Tennessee troubles. Now, I don't think that this is something that's going to necessarily affect Tennessee the rest of the season because they're not going to be in an environment like that, like this when they go and play uh, South Carolina or Vanderbilt. Now, maybe you think about you know postseason down the road a little bit, but even that's not a home field advantage like this. But I think ultimately this is a really good learning experience. And if you're Tennessee, that's what you have to use it as, right? This was a, a big-time road environment where every single person in the building was pretty much against you. Now, we know that Tennessee did go to Pittsburgh early in the year, and that was week two before things really get rolling. So That's Pitts, Pittsburgh football. Yeah, yeah and there you go. It, you're going to stop that it was Pittsburgh. <laughs> and then you go to LSU, right? And that was an 11 a.m. Yeah. game. Uh, the Tiger fans weren't even awake for it, and they did not have necessarily as good of a team as they do now that they did then. So, I, I, I Tennessee did, took the crowd out, you know, yes. from the first play of the game, and they did with the with the special yeah. teams play. Uh-huh. Yeah, so I, I I definitely think that this is a very unique situation to this season, but you have to learn from it because it's not like something you're never going to see before. I mean, when Tennessee goes down to Alabama next year, it's going to be a big time crowd. When Tennessee plays Georgia again in two years here, it's going to be a big time crowd. The more that Tennessee sits at the top and gets comfortable with these upper echelon teams, the more that you're going to have to play in environments like this, and you got to be prepared for it. Yeah, I mean, you're 100% right. And, you know, I think that's uh, – the you know, I've talked about a lot about the line of scrimmage and how I thought that was a big part of the game. And while I didn't necessarily anticipate it being as one-sided as it was, it, was, it wasn't shocking to me that Georgia had the advantage on both lines of scrimmage. It was very surprising to me. I didn't foresee uh, what Georgia's defensive backs, what Georgia's corners would do matched up against Tennessee's receivers. And I didn't envision tennis, the crowd having this much of an effect on Tennessee. Yeah, I, I, mean, really, I really didn't think it would, and uh, that was certainly a miscalculation by me because uh, 
Uh, this crowd certainly had a major effect on, on what Tennessee did offensively, and I think certainly had a major effect on fueling this Georgia team. You always talk about the crowd hurting the other team. How much have we seen in Tennessee games this year, the Florida game and the Alabama game, the crowd be able to fuel Tennessee? Uh, I think you saw that uh, to at least some degree. Not that Georgia needed a ton of fueling today, yeah. but uh, I think you saw that at least to some degree. Let's, uh, let's flip the switch a little bit talk about one of the last aspects of this game that we have not yet. Let's talk about Tennessee's defense versus Georgia's offense. What was kind of a takeaway there? Yeah, that's a good... Uh, I think it's it, it's just kind of hard to analyze that side of the ball because the second half was so... Yeah. You kind of felt like you got a, a one-half sample size. Sure. Uh, because of the way Georgia kind of called off the dogs, uh, no pun intended, in the second half offensively. They just played very conservative offensively in the second half. The big plays are what surprised me. I mean, that surprised me that Tennessee didn't hit any, and this Georgia offense had struggled to hit. They were good at getting chunk plays, 20-plus yard plays. They were not good at getting the 40-yard real big plays. And Tennessee's defense, its secondary for its flaws, for its shortcomings, has been pretty good at not getting beat on the real deep back-breaking plays. Georgia hit three of them in the first half. Uh, really, Georgia didn't have to sustain any long drives. Uh, they got the ball once. They're in really good field position after Tennessee had to punt out of its own end zone, hit the touchdown to Loudon McConkie the next play. Uh, and then Arian Smith, I believe it was, or Arian Carter, uh, had, to, had the long catch to set up uh, another Georgia touchdown. So the big plays is, is kind of what I think killed Tennessee. And I guess the other thing, with Tennessee's defense – they, the recipe for success has been pretty obvious. It's yeah. win first and second down with its really good run defense, and then it's when you get in third and long, when you get opponents in the third and long, when uh, the play call becomes predictable, Tennessee brings its pressure packages on the field, and a lot of what we saw Georgia do really effectively tonight uh, where they bring blitzes, and Tennessee didn't get in many of those, but they didn't get Georgia in third and, and long a lot. And when they did, Georgia already had a lead, and they played pretty conservatively with some receiver screens and yeah. uh, such like that. Stetson Bennett had the big scramble early in the game to go up 7-3. to three. I thought that was a really big play uh, when you look at the same way. But Georgia's ability, not that they killed Tennessee on the ground, but they, they did what Tennessee needed to do uh, on the ground, which was just stay in front of the sticks, keep everything on schedule, uh, ran for 130 yards. Um, the average only 3.5 probably tanked a lot in the second half because it was yes. it was very predictable uh, what Georgia was going to do. So I think you got to give Georgia a lot of credit for staying on script offensively and staying out of those third and long situations where Tennessee's defense really thrives. And you know I think that's credit to the offensive line, credit to running backs, and credit to Stetson Bennett who uh, I thought had a had a nice game. Yeah, I, I thought he did too. I thought he did what he needed to do uh, for them to win. Put the ball in some really nice throws at one uh, at a couple points in the game especially thinking about that one touchdown at the back of the end zone. Uh, one telling stat that I think you can look at from both these offense and really, I guess, the defenses and, and how they go as well, I don't know if that can be heard, but there's certainly a party here in Athens going on. Um, Tennessee's offense, 2 of 14 on third down conversions. Georgia's offense, 7 of 12. Man, those are the kind of stats where, where when you get to a top five level game, when you get to a game against another playoff team, those are going to be some of the most important stats, Ryan. You talked about it a lot already. The trenches being important, I, I felt like that really factored into to this. What this was, uh, what this was, because let's be honest. Also, there were I don't want to say there were a lot, but there were a couple, right, of times where it was like a third and one, and Tennessee yes. wasn't able to pick it up. These are not just third and tens that Tennessee wasn't able to pick up. Now the Vols were able to go. What is this? Three of five on fourth down conversion, so you're above fifty percent there. But man, two of fourteen is something that cannot fly. Uh, you know, when dealing with high-level competition, and then on the flip side, that's something that was able to 
helped Georgia in this game. The fact that they were able to continue to keep the chains moving. The fact that they were able to do it seven out of their 12 attempts. Didn't even need to get to a fourth down of the game. Uh, I, I think that is telling. And obviously, you know, that's that stat is likely going to be a little bit more lopsided when you have a game like this. But that's the kind of stat that I think you look at in hindsight. You say, man, that's an area that Tennessee could have done a little bit better there. Who knows what kind of things that could have happened in this game. Yeah, certainly. I think you go and bring up the third down percentages. That was, you know, that was a glaring number when you look at the stat sheet. And it was, I believe Georgia was 6 of 8 at one point. Again, so, so many of these stats in these games became watered down by the <laughs> yeah. way that Georgia played conservatively in the second half. And uh, the score, you know, like we've said, wasn't was a lot. This game was a lot more one-sided than the final score indicates. So I think you're right. This was really the first time all year we've seen Tennessee in those third and short situations. They've been able to line it up and run it at people. You know, I've, I've talked about how that's to me has been one of the biggest improvements of this team. They couldn't do it against Georgia today, and then in a few situations, I believe the drive that Tennessee's second field goal drive there in the second quarter. They have it third and two. Uh, what I believe was the nine yard line false start twice sacked on third yeah. down. It was uh, again, it felt like the pre-snap penalties you're right, they're only five yard penalties but it felt like, maybe you said this in, not in the podcast, but uh, our stand up down on the field they just came at really costly times for Tennessee and, and with what Georgia's defense was able to do really effectively against Tennessee it just made life all that, all that much more difficult on the walls. Yeah, it really did. Alright, so with the game now in the rearview mirror, obviously there are a lot of things to think about going forward for Tennessee. The Vols just need to win, frankly. Uh, they're with style points. Yeah, with style points. There's an excellent, excellent, uh, if not pretty much as inevitable as you can get, chance that Tennessee will not be playing in the SEC championship game in Atlanta this year. Yes. So for Tennessee, that resume that, that the playoff committee is going to be looking at is your 12 games in the regular season, the fact that Tennessee does have those five ranked wins and the fact that they had a 14-point loss to Georgia. Now, there was even a point in the game where, where it was even a wider margin, right, before Tennessee got that yeah. last touchdown. You're really thinking, man, if Georgia puts up a touchdown instead of Tennessee and really opens this thing up, that's going to be a bad look for the Vols. But Tennessee ends up closing that thing down to 14. And as we're recording this right now, there's a lot of football being played here on Saturday night that could be indicative to the future. So I'm not going to pretend to sit here on the podcast and, and give you the answers and give you the routes because they'll be different tomorrow morning, right, on Sunday morning when we wake up. But certainly Tennessee's goal at this point is going to be to, to win out uh, and see what kind of happens for that and hope that what they've, what they've already been able to do this season is going to be enough uh, to carry them forward a little bit if they get advantageous and if they get lucky and find a spot. Uh, you're right, and uh, certainly Tennessee did not do it. So even besides losing, they didn't do, do themselves any favors in the college football playoff uh, discussion. It'll be interesting to see how the committee views this loss, just from the fact that, again, it's an eight-point spread. They lost by two touchdowns. The score doesn't look awful. The, the way the game was played was, again, much worse. Yes. Uh, so that seems like they really narrowed their path and uh, made, made it pretty difficult uh, on themselves as we have a, a bug fly on our mic here. I'm not yeah, sure it's not, bug that it's is. not leaving either. No, it's not. I think it's it's going to it's gonna be our friend here the rest of the podcast. But uh, you're right. It's All of a sudden, it seems like Tennessee might get some help tonight. And, uh, again, we'll, we'll talk more about this on Wednesday when we actually know how these games end. But uh, early in the third quarter, t- Notre Dame up by two touchdowns on Clemson. Feels like that would be a probably the biggest of any of these games of giving Tennessee a. Uh, I think everyone's kind of penciled in Clemson. The rest of their schedule is pretty weak. If Clemson goes undefeated, they're going to make it to the. Uh, they're going to make it to the playoff. One lost ACC champion. I'm not sure about that. And then also uh, LSU up seven to six on Alabama. Obviously a lot of game to go. We'll see what happens there. And then the other one, the shocker that I don't 
have any expectations for this score to hold, but Rutgers leads Michigan 17-14 to 14 at halftime as well. So uh, at least something to follow. Wow. Uh, yeah. Okay. Uh, at least something to follow is three other teams that are really going to be – because right now you feel you feel good that Georgia's going to be in the playoff. You feel good that whoever wins Ohio State, Michigan, and wins the Big Ten is going to be in the playoff. And I think you and I both, is, along with most people, think that will be Ohio State's going to make it. And then you get into that next class where Tennessee is going to be battling with Clemson, TCU, whoever wins the Pac-12, and whoever loses uh, that Michigan-Ohio State game. So yeah. going to be plenty worth monitoring, and there's going to be plenty to talk about on all that in the next month, so we don't need to get into all of this <laughs> tonight. But uh, we're officially in uh, to watching scores and kind of yes. tracking stuff across the country season as Tennessee no longer controls its own destiny in the college football playoff hunt. Absolutely. It's a great way to put it right there. All right, Ryan. Well, that is going to wrap it up for us. Let's go ahead and get this thing wrapped up and get out of here. Again, it is a beautiful night here in Athens. Tennessee falls to Georgia by a score of 27 to 13. Tennessee will come back home to Neyland Stadium next week for what I believe is going to be the, the home finale of the season. Yeah, it will be. Senior night. Already. Senior night for uh, this Tennessee senior class and, and certainly a, a group that will be for good reason, uh, well honored next week. And what Hendon Hooker, Cedric Tillman, Jerome Carvin, I, I probably shouldn't have started listening because there's a lot of guys. <laughs> there's a lot of guys who decided to, to stick at Tennessee or transfer to Tennessee in Hooker's case when things were in a really bad spot, and they they certainly leave the program in a much better much better spot than they they inherited it yeah, when they you, arrived at Tennessee. It's a great point. You think about the guys who you know came to Tennessee in the midst of. Uh, uh, uncertainty and, and potentially even a little bit of trouble, and then the guys who also stuck with Tennessee through all that uncertainty is trouble, uncertainty and trouble as well. So it'll be nice to see them get a little bit of uh, uh, praise next week, and, and certainly the home crowd will do that. But that is on the menu next. Otherwise, man, we just need to get back to Knoxville. Actually, you're going to Jackson, Tennessee tomorrow, which is probably going to be when people are listening to this. Be sure to go check out Ryan's Twitter account at rshump00. He is going to be in uh, Jackson for the Tennessee baseball scrimmage. Yeah, so the Vols will take on uh, Memphis in what's supposed to be an 18-inning scrimmage, but Tony Vitello seemed uh, like sounded like that was pretty up in the air from talking to him. So uh, that'll be uh, uh, another opportunity to watch Tennessee baseball in the fall, and then on to Monday we go, and on to basketball season we go as the Tennessee basketball team opens up play against Tennessee Tech on wow. Monday night at Thompson Bowling Arena. There's a lot going on right now. Yeah, it's busy. It's busy time. It's welcome to November. It is certain. Yeah, that's a that's a great point. It is it is November. It is busy, and that means oh, we're pretty busy as well. All right, Ryan, let's go ahead and get out of here. Hey, thanks so much for listening to the show today. As always, be sure to go and leave a rating. We would love a five star rating with this podcast, just like a great five star recruit. Give us those stars. Also, make sure you are subscribing to the show wherever you're listening to it right now. But the show can also be found on any of your favorite podcast platforms already. I'm talking Apple, I'm talking Spotify, I'm talking Amazon, and I'm talking anything in between. So make sure you're going and doing all that. Make sure you're also following Rocky Top Insider on all the different social media platforms that you can. That will be at Rocky Top Insider on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok. If you want to follow Ryan on Twitter, you can do that at rshump00. If you want to follow myself, you can do that at Rick underscore Butler. But again, make sure you're checked in. Make sure you are locked in to the Rocky Top Network, all Rocky Top Insider Network, all the time. It's late. I'm tired. Let's go ahead and get out of here. We'll see you back on Monday. <laughs>